Good morning. We're continuing our study through the book of Acts this morning. If you were here um, or listened online last week, you know that uh, it included a very difficult text. It really was and, and still is a reminder that we live in a broken world. Things are not as they should be, and things are not as they one day will be. In fact, last week really is a good picture of that. You have this um, picture at the end of chapter 4 of Acts of almost new earth kingdom here and now living, where the apostles are uh, living a life of love, counting others as more significant than themselves, and then you have brokenness that breaks in unexpectedly with the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and that's hard, but I think that although it's on a much lower level, we can all understand, we've all experienced on a lower level where brokenness has broken into our lives when things seemed so good. And yet there is a day coming when there will be no more breaking in of pain and sorrow. We're looking at Acts chapter 5 verses 12 through 16 today. I think it is a, a shadow of what is to come, of that time when there will be no more brokenness. It's a wonderful reminder that God is working right now and will continue until we are with Him forever and ever. And So if you're able to stand, go ahead and Stand and follow along as I read Acts chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you that this is true of you. There's no one in here that has this kind of power or this kind of love or this kind of mercy. It resides in you alone. What a joy and blessing it is to come before you and look at your word. Help us, Lord. Help us to lean into your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. It's such an incredible passage. I mean, truly incredible. You know, there's many things that we can and honestly should be skeptical of that are associated with Christianity. Some of those have to do with healings and miracles, not only, but some. And yet here in the early church, God is doing these incredible, Incredible things, and I'm so grateful for Luke writing them down for us. 
Verse 12, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Now, let's remember from the beginning of this text, especially coming out of what has happened immediately before this, God is answering their prayers. God is answering their prayers. And so even in the midst of the fear that certainly would have come, and we're told came from what happened with Ananias and Sapphira, God is there. He's present. He's listening. He's loving. And He's answering their prayers. Remember, they had prayed for this exact thing. The religious leaders confronted them, threatened them, warned them not to speak any more about Jesus or in the name of Jesus. And rather than disappearing, running off to a quieter, safer place, the believers call out to the Lord, not for Him to stop the religious leaders, not for Him to stop persecution. No, they prayed that they themselves would not stop. That they would continue to speak the word of God with boldness. And they add, while you, God, stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed. That was what they desired. That's what they prayed for in the threat of persecution. For God to work in a way that others would hear the gospel and believe in Jesus. And God answers their prayer with a resounding, yes, I will do that. And it's amazing. I mean, look what it says here in the text. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. God was doing incredible things. It's God doing them by the hands of the apostles. You know, Jesus said something to the disciples, it's recorded in John 14, that is honestly really hard to believe when I read it. In John 14, verses 12 through 14, he says to the disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do. Greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And you read that, I read that, and I think, Lord, how? And I think ultimately in the text, Jesus speaking there, he's referring to the fact that many, many people will be converted through the ministry of these apostles. We'll believe the good news about Jesus and we'll follow him. Jesus had a lot of followers on earth. You read the Gospels and many, most of them left him. Because it was too hard. 
So I think mostly Jesus is referring to that. But then you read these accounts in the beginning of Acts and you say, okay, there's some of that too. That Jesus was not lying. It says here that they all met together in Solomon's portico. People are gathering, thousands of them now, gathering together and worshiping the Lord. Now, Solomon's portico is one of the, the great porches of the temple, it's believed. Remember, the temple wasn't just a, a large building like, like this church building just sitting there. It was more like an open area in the city that covered dozens of acres. And the whole complex, the temple complex, was walled off with several gates and porches, and there were trees and shrubs and, and multiple buildings and houses. In the middle of all of that was the temple proper, and that had different courts that led to the Holy of Holies. And so these apostles worshipped at the temple at one of the exterior porches called Solomon's portico, and it must have been beautiful. It must have been a wonderful sight to see. And verse 13 continues, None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. We can imagine why this might be. I mean, people are performing these incredible miracles. And then you hear the story about this husband and wife who dropped dead in the midst of them. And so those who are not yet believers and are not even sympathetic to the cause, they're staying away. That doesn't mean every single person who wasn't a believer. We know it can't be that because we find out later in the text that there are some who are still coming. But there's cautiousness, there's a distancing from these apostles. It's also possible that the location of where they met kept some away. If you weren't, if you weren't sincerely interested in Jesus or the gospel or what is happening in this movement, you wouldn't want to put yourself in this open area where those religious leaders are walking past constantly and be noticed by them. And so it could be some of that as well. They're keeping themselves at what they consider a safe distance. And yet, the people held the apostles in high esteem. They spoke highly of them. Verse 14, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So here's the contrast to the previous verse. Yes, there's many people keeping their distance out of fear and out of awe because of all the things that they had heard and possibly seen, and yet many are still coming to see and hear. You can just consider this of what we've read so far in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 15, in those days Peter stood up among the brothers 
the company of persons was in all about 120. And then in chapter 2, verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Acts 4, verse 4. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Incredible. And the gospel is sweeping through these people. That all happened over the matter of weeks, maybe a couple of months. And now what does Luke record for us? And more than ever, more than all of that, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. I can't even imagine the joy. You consider Solomon's portico, whatever, whatever the image of that must have looked like, which would have been beautiful, the beauty of that is far exceeded by the fact that you have multitudes of people in the midst of thousands of people who are worshiping Jesus for the first time in their lives. Multitudes more are coming and trusting in the Savior of the world. It is beautiful. This God-focused joy in the midst of this multitude of people. Remember the context here is that miracles are performed and the apostles use that opportunity to do what? To tell them the true story about Jesus of Nazareth, a man who lived a perfect life, welcoming sinners and tax collectors, embracing the outcasts. And then was put to death by the hands of the religious leaders, but who was raised from the dead by God the Father. And they preached the gospel over and over and over to these people. And people believed. And God put his stamp of approval on these apostles and their words through great miracles. It continues, verse 15. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. You guys look like I just read nothing. That is incredible. That is remarkable. I, mean, I can't even imagine this. Truly. And seriously consider the circumstances that would lead to this. That people are grabbing those who are crippled and sick and bringing them and laying them on cots and mats on the sides of the street, hoping that Peter's shadow would just fall over them as they walk by, as he walks by. I mean, people are truly in a frenzy, and I sincerely do not mean that in a negative sense. God is doing such powerful things through the hands of the apostles, and people are expectant. So much so that they carry these sick and lame and lay them in the streets. 
They know that Peter is going to pass by, walk down that road, and hopefully his shadow will pass over their family member or friend, and that they'll be healed. Now, the truth is, the text does not tell us whether or not that worked. We don't know. They did it for a reason. So, I lean towards thinking it happened a couple times, at least. So, the question is here, is this something to imitate? Is that why this is here? Well, on one hand, yes. Their faith, for sure. They had faith that God was able to do the incredible. But remember here, Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. This is not meant to be a model of ministry. You're not encouraged, I'm not encouraged from this text to walk down the streets of Westerville and if you see someone who is lame or crippled, steal that person and put them on the side of the road in hopes that someone with God's power will walk past and they'll be healed. It's not, it's not prescriptive that way. Dean Pinter offers wisdom concerning these kinds of works in the book of Acts. He says this, we may either dismiss them or try to duplicate them. But the book of Acts does not offer us a prescriptive account of how God is supposed to answer our prayers or meet our needs. He continues, Acts shows us that God does not do the same thing in every context or for every person. God opens the prison gates for Peter, but James is put to death. Paul recovers from being stoned, but Stephen was killed by stones. We are called to pray, to petition, and to wait upon God. God knows what might happen. Verse 16 continues, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all healed. People are coming from towns surrounding Jerusalem. And word is obviously spreading. And you think about the circumstances here, okay? Jesus walked in those places. Maybe things had settled down in those little places after the death of Jesus. Maybe there was some sadness missing the times when the man from Galilee would teach them and have such authoritative messages when he would call the little children to come to him when he would bring joy to so many people in their town maybe they talked about those wonderful days but he was gone And maybe their hope was gone too. And now, what is this happening in Jerusalem that we're hearing about? 
And they're saying it's in fact through Jesus, the man who walked among us and we know who died, but that he's actually alive. And so once again, they, they start to bring their sick and their crippled to Jerusalem. And once again, those wonderful words that had been written often when Jesus went to a place are written again concerning them. They were all healed. Because Jesus is alive. And He's doing great things through His apostles. His messengers sent to be His witnesses. And I think, I think about this I see this all as a glorious display of God's love and power, but also as a reminder. I mean, this text is wonderful. For, for all of us who don't like to read Acts 5, 1 through 11, man, 12 is a great landing spot. It is wonderful. This is just a taste. It's a shadow of the things yet to come. We we tend to look back on texts like this and think, man, wouldn't that have been great? But this is a shadow. This is just... This is a foretaste of something greater that's coming. These early believers were living in what was the overlap of the already and not yet kingdom of God. The already, which which still included brokenness and grief and pain and sickness and loss and even death and then the not yet where all of those things will be wiped away and we will live in the peace and prosperity of Jesus, the true and everlasting reign of Christ on this earth. A few things, though, we can know, that we can know for sure from this text. The first is this, God has broken in and is breaking into this broken world. We can have confidence of that. Thanks be to God for Jesus who stepped into this world to bring the newness that only He can bring. N.T. Wright, commenting on this text, he writes this, the fact of so many people coming to Jerusalem and being cured was not simply a matter of a sudden burst of healing energy. It was about, and everyone there knew it was about, the establishment of a new reality in a dangerous place. The power of the living God becoming concrete, definite, undeniable, not simply a matter of a few people telling a very strange story and behaving from time to time as if they were drunk. It is when the church, through prayer and wisdom and often in the teeth of opposition, acts with decisive power in the real world to build and run a successful school or medical clinic, to free slaves, 
or remit debts, to establish a housing project for those who can't afford local rents, or a credit union for those ashamed to go into a bank, to enable drug users and pushers to kick the habit in a lifestyle, to see hardened and violent criminals transformed by God's love, that people will take the message of Jesus seriously. Of course, there will then be opposition because we shall be invading territory that is currently under alternative occupation, but God's power will be at work and people will know it. I love that. The establishment of a new reality in a dangerous place. And we're called as the church to image that new reality. To display the love of Jesus that has broken into this world. Does that mean that God is doing things like this in every place? If we just have the right amount of faith? Not necessarily. He's saving We have to be honest with the text, seeing that it's clearly descriptive in ways and not prescriptive. Why does God choose to allow the imagery of the people's faith that Peter's shadow passing over them will heal? And yet we don't see that anywhere else in the New Testament. Why later is Paul's handkerchief sent to different places so that people will be healed if they touch it? We don't know, other than the purposeful and mysterious love and mercy of God to demonstrate that He is bursting into this world in a real and glorious way. But we can't, we can't take this and say that, that that's the response, is to expect those specific things. No, we're going to be disappointed going through the rest of Acts if we take one example like Peter's shadow and make that prescriptive. That's not the lesson here. It's like I quoted earlier, Acts shows us that God does not do the same thing in every context or for every person. God opens the prison gates for Peter, but James is put to death. Paul recovers from being stoned. Stephen is killed from being stoned. We are called to pray, to petition, and to wait upon God. Only God knows what might happen. So here's what I, I want to walk away from as I walk away from this text. These things that we read that thrill us and make us think, look what God did. They're a taste they're just a foretaste of what all of us who know Jesus, all of us who follow Jesus will experience when God comes and makes all things new. Chris Rule was sharing in our life group recently how he and Luca were talking about the new earth and how uh, the river is going to be lined with the tree of life on each side of it. And I don't want to misquote him here, but I'm going to do my best. It's Josh Manor. So, my notes say Chris. 
so. Was Josh Manor? Okay, good job, Josh. Man, you got a, a lot of credit given to someone else this week <laughs> in my own heart and head. So, well, it's, it's beautiful nonetheless. Josh said, buddy, we're going to meet there. And we're going to eat from that tree together. What a beautiful picture. And what a wonderful hope. I don't want the greatness of God to simply be what I'm looking back on in the past. I want it to be what I know to be true for the future. And what I know He's going to do. And then, when we're there, there won't be a need for hoping that a shadow might pass over us or any other image of God's power, but we all together will dwell under not the shadow, but the light of His glorious presence. And it will be perfect and it will be love. We're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper together. And Paul says that as often as we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. That this is a temporary thing. This is something that we do now as a reminder of what Christ has done and a hope in what He's going to do. And so as we prepare to take the bread and the cup, let's ponder that. Let's think about his life that he lived on our behalf and invites us into. That's the gospel. The Son of God came and lived a perfect life. Lived the way that you and I cannot live. And lived it on our behalf and invites us into that life with him. Let's think about the fact that He is coming and that He will establish His new kingdom here and He will dwell with us forever. Let's pray. Father, we love You and we thank You. You're so good to us, so gracious to us, Lord, so merciful. We praise You for Your power, power to do things that we read here that we just can't even imagine the joy the incredible joy as people see you working through the hands of the apostles you're a good and loving king lord you love your people and you're so benevolent and kind to your people Lord, help us to be people who can truly say, not just with our lips, Lord, but with our hearts and, and by our actions, that you alone are our King. That you are the good King that we want to follow. Be glorified in our 
living, Lord. We thank you for the day that's coming when heaven will meet earth and you will make all things new. That we will dwell with you forever and ever. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.